Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, one of the fastest growing movie podcasts in the world, where we discuss all things film. On this episode, we discuss Brokeback Mountain. Released in 2005, directed by Ang Lee, written by Larry McMurtry and Diana Osana. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. This is Anthony. And this is James. And to end Pride Month, we're doing Broke Back Mountain, which in general is one of my favorite love story films of all time. And this movie, it's it's so well, so well made, so well shot, beautiful cinematography, amazing directing from Ang Lee. And it's just such a tragic story about this forbidden love. Um, it's one of the saddest films you ever see when you get to the end of it, but it's a really beautiful movie. Yeah, it's so it's so stunning and meditative and thoughtful and thought-provoking, and the performances are just the next level. And then the cinematography, the filmmaking, the score is fantastic. And all around, it's an unbelievable picture. And Ang Lee, it's surprising. He followed the Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon up with this film. Which well, is no, he did Hulk, too. Hulk, too. Hulk was before. Yeah, so he did back. Crouching Tiger, Hulk, and then Brokeback Mountain. So I bet this is kind of like a, a response to Hulk. I like think so, doing too. Doing a Marvel big studio, he's like, I need to do something a little bit more human. Especially the way that movie was received. Not a lot of people loved it, and I'm sure that left a bitter taste in his in his mouth. And, and you know, you're kind of handcuffed as a director when you're working for a company like that with a comic book franchise or something. So... I and think, that was Fox. Yeah, so I think, and they're probably even more strict than Marvel is today, yeah, for sure. Definitely. So, But it seems like Brokeback was the perfect film to kind of revitalize his artistic reputation that he built with a decade and a half, two decades of film. And what I love about how he shoots this movie is the cinematography is very minimal. Like, he uses a lot of very large shots in terms of very wide. You see everything in the frame. He uses close-ups close ups rarely. And in, in part, like, the movie, it's more than just the story. It's an experience of what life is like in this area at this point in time. You feel like you you understand what the environment is like because they get so many beautiful shots. And not just landscape shots, but shots of the characters just in quiet moments in the areas. And it makes you feel like you're part of that world. Yeah, Rodrigo Pietro did the cinematography on this film. And he did a stunning job. Again, not just with, like you said, the landscapes, but the blocking, like the characters, how their distance is like a theme of this film. And they're always in the beginning, first act, second half of the film, distant from each other. But in terms of like wide shots of these landscapes, I wouldn't exactly call them very wide because it seems like like they used a, a long lens to get these like controlled and and small framed images of these enormous landscapes because you know I what I mean? I can tell you why. You know, yeah, but, you know, but I think it's because, again, distance is... Is like a theme of the film, and so I think he's kind of constraining them into this small frame on purpose, even though the average director or cinematographer will get these vast, wide shots of these landscapes. It's actually more of a practical reason, because this movie was shot um, in the areas. Uh, there's a lot of settlements now. There's a lot of houses, that makes cities, sense. Um, like small towns. And so there's an amazing fact about this movie that 90% of the movie was shot within 90 feet of some kind of road or street or neighborhood. Oh, that's incredible. And so all the shots, they couldn't go super wide with wide-angle lenses. And you're right, that's, they did use long lenses because, uh, like, say they're they're shooting a shot, and off-camera there's, like, a house right there, mm -hmm. or there's a street right there, or, like, they they just set up right off of a street or a road. So, so they used these locations, but the way they filmed it, they had to hide what was really around the areas. And that's why that's what's so great because the film you feel kind of very isolated. You feel like very much in nature because you see plenty of like the city uh, of they just call it the town because it's so small, and then the houses here and there. But otherwise, you're in nature, and, and they're able to hide because the yes, I'm broke back on the mountain. It's very isolated, but most of what this film, where it took place, practically was in neighborhoods. Yeah, and the aspect ratio, it really, you notice it right away because it, it opens with these beautiful landscape shots of this this area in Wyoming. And, and uh, it's a 185-1 aspect ratio, which is still common, not super common anymore. Like, for example, the 2391 wide is more common, I would say, nowadays. Like, that's Blade Runner 2049. Like, that was a film that was shot on that. But... This I think like Avengers and stuff like that, big comic book movies still shoot on the 185.1, but I think it just looks so beautiful with these shots. Before we continue, if you want to help support Raiders of the Lost podcast, the best thing you can do is share us with your friends and family and also become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost podcast. Patrons get perks like personalized videos, podcast schedules for upcoming episodes, Top-tier patrons get a monthly shout-out on the podcast. You also get exclusive content to bonus episodes and personal videos just for patrons. 
Head on over to our website, RaidersOfTheLostPodcast.com to check out all of our sources of content, our merch, our custom movie posters. You can also become a patron there. Be sure to subscribe, follow, and hit the notification bell wherever you're listening. If you're watching on YouTube, hit subscribe and smash the like button. Yeah, ultimately, uh, widescreen is more cinematic looking, especially anamorphic. But I like movies like that shoot in this aspect ratio because it feels very um, classical and traditional. Uh, the old kind of format. Yeah, like when the this blocky, was popular. It's almost blocky. You know, yeah, exactly. Like square. And what's so, what's so surprising about this film because it, because of how good it is, uh, and it was nominated for a lot of awards, but it didn't win Best Picture. And it was actually a big shock that it didn't win Best Picture. It was the favorite, and ultimately, it lost to uh, Crash. Crash, which, is, uh, which I think is the the worst Oscar winner in history. A lot of people agree with that. It's widely considered uh, very much a, a snub that Crash won Best Picture because Crash is an okay movie, but compared to Brokeback Mountain, I mean, it's not even close. I mean, Ludacris is one of the lead characters. You know what I mean? And Capote is was Capote's nominated great, for yeah. Best Picture, and that's way better than Crash. That's oh, a great yeah. movie. Absolutely. But it's, the thing with Crash, it's because of what it was about more than anything. Yeah. It was about racial tension and stuff and, and the political themes of it, I think, is why voters voted for that. But they actually, this crazy thing happened. The Academy, they did a revote of this year. They, like in 2007, they they got a hold of like hundreds of Academy voters and said, if you could recast your vote, what would you change? And um, they all said, uh, I would change my vote for Crash to Brokeback Mountain. 100%. I think this movie was also a little ahead of its time in terms of, of, of it being about this gay relationship because, I mean, gay marriage and gay rights, that had literally didn't exist for so long and it wasn't that long ago. And Until this, fairly recently. This movie takes yeah. place in 1967. That's when it opens up. And so these characters are dealing with that, with the, the struggle of wanting to live their true lives but afraid for their lives to actually do that especially ennis in a way and it's like it wasn't even until very recently that political presidential candidates even um ran on uh pro-gay marriage pro-gay marriage yeah like this just happened like a few years ago so this movie walked so that call me by your name could fly in a way yeah Yeah. in a lot of ways you can say that call me by your name is a cousin of this movie for sure very similar because of how it's told it's very authentic uh story about love intimate intimacy it doesn't really have a plot the plot is more about watching these two men and their lives unfold. There's no real plot at all. Um, and it's all about uh, character and what these characters are dealing with, how how this relationship forms and how that relationship ends up affecting both of their lives and their marriages with their families. And ultimately, it ends in tragedy. And But it's still a very beautiful, profound film. But I think it's a, a staggering piece of cinema. And I, I love Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, but it's hard to deny the, how great this film is. And I think it's Ang Lee's best movie. Yeah, but I, th- I feel like this movie kind of grounded him as a director probably because using the filming Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, I'm sure that was so intricate and complex and elaborate what they had to do behind the scenes. But there's also an incredible amount of special effects in Brokeback Mountain that it's it's so good you don't notice it. You yeah. know, that's the best kind of CGI that you want. And they had about 700, like the scenes with all the sheep that when they're herding in the first act of the film, there's about 700 sheep that they had on set. But for most of the wide shots with the sheep, they needed thousands of sheep. So the majority of the sheep in the wide shots are either CGI animations or imposed from other shots of sheep. Oh, and, wow. And I then, had no idea. Yeah, so a lot of the sheep are actually fake. Uh, a lot of nature was actually CGI'd and imposed on top of original images, like some of those beautiful shots of the mountains in the background and some of the hills, even the fog in some of those shots. That's all CGI and fake. Um, they did a lot. Of, they did some day for night shooting, so that that first moonrise that uh, Jack watches on the cliff by himself, that was day for night filming, even though it looks like it's at night. Yeah, they did a really great job color correcting that. Yeah. The fireworks. The only the giveaway for that shot though is you can see clouds. Yeah, that's the give giveaway. The the well, you can see clouds in a very bright moon. No, but they were like definitely clouds with sun yeah, behind it. They, they did a pretty good job. Yeah, no, they did a great yeah. job. Uh, the fireworks were actually CGI too. Really? Yeah. Well, the, actually, that makes sense because it has to be perfectly timed. Yeah. And then the hailstorm, beside aside from the ones that they pick up, that's a CGI shot too. So there's actually a ton of CGI hidden in here. And again, like directors like Ang Lee and David Fincher, they're kind of experts at hiding it right in front of your face. Scorsese too. And it makes sense because it's a period piece, and I'm sure in that area and region, there's probably architecture all over the place in some capacity. Uh, and so they probably had to erase a lot of things as well as add things. So, And also, I think that in that mountain isn't very big, so I think they expanded what it, what it felt like in terms of its scope. So I think they made just the whole region a lot bigger than what it really is. Yeah, and this movie is some of the best acting you'll ever see in a film. I mean, Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal are absolutely phenomenal but you could argue this is maybe Heath Ledger's best performance even better than the than the Joker in the Dark Knight it's really profound what he was able to accomplish in this role 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Is like as Ennis and this person who's fighting to hide deep down inside what he truly wants to be, and the the both these characters they have to be aged twenty years throughout the course of the film. And Jake, he's great; he's such a great actor, but he's a very young-looking person still. And even in the older years, when he has his mustache, that makes him look a little older, but he still looks very young. But Heath Ledger, towards the end of the film, he looks like an old man twice his age, like physically, mentally. He's just such a gifted actor. I think Was. they, I think they did that on purpose because of the difference between the characters. Because if you look, Heath Ledger clearly has um, uh, ageifying makeup on. It's not; it's very subtle, but. Around his eyes, they add a lot of wrinkles and around his mouth. And so, and, and they also, I think they also made his skin look a little worse. His hair's kind of yeah, graying, and too. His hair's super gray. It's like saturated. Yeah, like when he's, when he's dating Cassie, it's gray. But in terms of Jack, he still has that youthful quality. And I think they could have done the olding makeup. But because of how much of a burden Ennis's life is, I think that he ages quicker. Because the thing with Ennis is that he's a very... A closed off person. He's so closed off that, uh, and Heath Ledger put it into the performance. Like he barely moves his mouth when he talks. Like he barely expresses himself. He's he's always keeps his chin down, and he when he does speak, it's very quiet and it's very seldom. Like he says that little story about his being raised by his brother and sister to to Jack and at the campsite, and Jack's like, "That's the most you've spoken in two weeks," and Ennis is like, "That's the most I've said all year." So the man, he's very he's very lonesome, and he he seems to have this just this. And these personal demons within him where he is afraid of opening up in any way. And that's why every relationship he's ever been in, whether it be Jack, Alma, or Cassie, he kind of just pushes them away because of his own interior burden he has inside of him. Yeah, I think that's probably a lot from what his father did to him as a child. I don't think they talk about like physical abuse or anything, but when Ennis is nine years old, his father shows him the homosexual man that him. we assume that his father and his buddies killed and they show him the corpse, he's nine years old. And so that's why Ennis has this like deep down fear of letting who he truly is out because he understands the, 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 the consequences of this culture at this time in the 1960s, pretty much the whole world. This was, a, you, you could get in a lot of trouble if, you, if you're homosexual if someone found out. It was, I mean, it was, there are still countries around the world where you can be killed for it. So he understood the ramifications if, if they got caught, whereas Jack really never understood that. That's why Ennis has that great line where he's talking about if we keep doing this break, this broke back mountain thing at the wrong place at the wrong time, it can kill us. That's yeah, what he's talking about. Yeah, because Jack wants to shack up together. He wants to get, get a cabin together or, or like begin like get a ranch together. And that's why he tells that story about the two ranchers when he was a kid. And the thing is the there's a Jack and Ennis are so different from one another. They're complete polar opposites because Jack, he himself, he's he's fun. And he's boisterous, and he's he's full of energy, and he's a rodeo cowboy. He's a rodeo cowboy. He's passionate. Uh, he's impulsive. I think his imp- his impulsivity is probably his defining character trait because he he does things based upon how they feel. You know that's why he first uh, courts Ennis, and that's why he has to go to, to Mexico to get his to feed that hunger that he has that he can never fully fulfill within him within a normal relationship with a woman. And so I think his impulsivity is a great contrast with Ennis and his his this this wall he Ennis has put up around himself and this way that he lives of never um, wanting attention or putting himself out there to other people. Fucking Jack Twist. Yeah, Jack Twist <laughs> is much more in tune with his feelings than Ennis clearly, and I think that's perfectly shown in the brilliant opening scene of this movie where both these characters they meet but they don't even speak. They don't even make eye contact while they're waiting for. 
the owner of the farm, the herd farmer, Joe, Joe Aguirre, to come to offer them work. And the thing about it is, even though they're not looking at each other, Jack is the one that's kind of like trying to get Ennis' attention. He's even posturing against the car to get him to look at him to maybe start a conversation. Yeah, he, he checks him out. He's like, he's yeah. like, he's like showing him, like, hey, hey, how you doing? Uh, we're gonna be working together for a long time, so yeah, might but, as well get to but, know each other. But Ennis is so closed off that like he makes it difficult to even communicate with him or even to say hi to him. You, you can barely see Ennis's eyes in this whole film. He's always got them under the rim of his hat. Yeah, there's just something about Ennis that he in and, and Cassie has this great line because after they date, he clearly seems to have. Uh, ghosted her in layman's terms. He stopped communicating with her, and even though she says she left word with him with his work and tr and left notes at his at his house, uh, he never ever communicated back to her. And Ennis says this line when she confronts him at that diner. He says, "I probably wasn't much fun anyway." And she said, "Girls don't fall in love with fun." And so he doesn't. He has this social, um, he, the, the inability to really understand social dynamics and understand how other people feel and how he treats other people. Because even his daughter, she loves him. And Cassie Jr. I mean, Alma Jr. is so devoted to him, but he still is very closed off even with her, and it's difficult for her to communicate with him. Yeah, Ennis just wants to be alone. Even yeah. when he has his family with Alma in the, in the early parts of the film after him and Jack leave Brokeback Mountain for the first time, Alma wants to move to the town. She wants to see people. She's sick of being in a small farmhouse away from everybody, and she never gets to leave. She's just always home with the kids, and Ennis actually gets to leave the house to go to work. So, and but, she says, "Don't you want to? Don't you want your girls to live in a different environment than what you grew up in, and not being be so, so lonely?" lonely. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> Jinx. Jinx. Ennis is kind of addicted to being alone, and like you said, he can't cope with social situations, even with those closest to him. And Alma Junior kind of becomes a lot like Ennis. I can you can see her. It's a very similar personality to Ennis, especially when Ennis, her, and um, Cassie are at, out getting dinner out there at that bar, and and Alma talks just as much as Ennis does in the in their conversation. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a great point. That's a really great point. But and I the relationships that both of these two men form after Brokeback, after that first uh, summer in Brokeback, uh, it's it's really it becomes very tragic for both of them, uh, especially for Ennis because. He has this family, but then he seems to not want his family, and he seems to kind of, in a way, want them to find to, to get away. Because when he goes back to Jack after four years, when they finally reconnect and they they sleep in that motel room together, he tells Jack that he's stuck in his life, and that's not something you want to hear from a father or a husband. Them thinking that they're stuck in a situation. So his his inability to ever fully be himself or express himself or or take charge of who he is and what he really wants has put him in a situation that he doesn't want to be in, and now he feels like he's trapped. Even before the motel scene, he's waiting, drinking beers, smoking pack after pack of cigarettes looking out the window waiting for Jack to show up if he's gonna come because he got the postcard in the mail and that's how they're communicating since since Brokeback happened and then he couldn't wait even a minute that he has to immediately grab Jack put a pin him against the wall and kiss him and that's how much they love each other that's how much they care for each other that's how much how much they missed each other and that's an unfortunate situation for Alma because she immediately catches them. So that's, that's how strong their love was that Ennis, even to his family, is right there. He still has to do it. We'll get right back into the podcast after I tell you about our sponsor, Manscaped, the leaders in men's grooming. This company has helped keep the lights on for this show, so please check out their products at manscaped.com. Use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off and free shipping worldwide year-round. For years, literally decades, I've been going to the drugstore and getting those like $15 cheapy buzzers and clippers. They pull out all your hairs, all your ingrown hairs. You're just irritated afterwards. I hate them, but Manscaped has literally changed the game with their new Lawnmower 4.0. It's literally a rocket ship groomer for your personal needs. I recommend getting your hands on their performance package. Their 4.0 includes the Lawnmower 4.0, and this is like a bundle with a bunch of their awesome products at a low cost. Join the over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped right now with this exclusive offer. Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off and free shipping worldwide with that coupon code. Everybody listening, you got to get it on manscaped.com for your grooming needs. For all the men in your life, this is the perfect gift. And ladies, you can get this for yourself. Why not? Apparently in that kissing scene, Heath Ledger kissed Jake Gyllenhaal so hard that he nearly broke his nose. Jeez. Because it looks like it. so intense. Looks like Yeah, it. he just throws him up against the wall. And I think that's one of the most tragic moments of the entire film when Alma sees it. And Michelle Williams is such a great actress. 
I think she still kind of flies under the radar and she's very famous and, and has a great career, but I still think that people uh, don't really know how much she's capable of. And this film, it's a, it's a tough role and Alma goes through so much. Just like just Alma's react, Michelle Williams acting in that scene when they come into the apartment and her acting in that, like that's that shock she has. She's such a great minimalist actor. She reminds me of Ryan Gosling where people in real life, we actually try to hide our emotions in most situations rather than being expressive. Like you would expect if you watch like soapy stuff or like dramatic stuff, like she's like holding back tears and trying to cr not to cry. That's what you are even screaming at him. or screaming. But what uh, Michelle Williams does in the scene is her face is like frozen in shock, but she's trying to hide it. And she, you can tell that she's like panicked on the inside, but she's trying not to express it to give away how she's feeling because that's how we all act in real life. So she's an unbelievable actress, and this is one of her best roles. She knocked it out of the park. It's a really complex situation for her because, again, it's 1967, Wyoming, Texas, America, the world, and this isn't really socially acceptable at this time. And if if it was a woman, then maybe, yeah, she would freak out on him, or maybe she would divorce him right away if she saw that happening with him and a woman. But maybe, but because it's it's two men, it's probably a different situation for her, and she's afraid to, to talk about it because she doesn't want anything to happen to her family. She doesn't want anything to happen to Ennis because she probably knows what could happen to Ennis as well, too, if, if someone found out about it. Yeah, and it seems as though Ennis, clearly he knows he's, that he thinks that he's getting away with it all this time. But I think that even if Alma never found out, he wouldn't have cared. And he ultimately, when she does confront him after they're divorced and they have the Thanksgiving at her and her new husband's house, when Ennis is confronted with the truth, when she talks about the fishing poles that never had the tag taken off or the note that she left him asking for fish, Ennis becomes extremely aggressive and violent and nearly hits her. Like he has his fist out and, and ready to attack. And there's so there's this, there's this anger within Ennis that... He's never dealt with because there's that scene where he attacks that guy in the truck who is just crossing the he runs across the road in front of the truck and then he starts like punching the guy through the window and that guy ends up being way bigger than him and beats the crap out of him and then also the most telling one is that Fourth of July fireworks scene which is I think is the, one of the most powerful scenes where uh, those two uh, jerks show up and they start talking in very vulgar language about women around all the kids and Ennis tells them to shut up and. Uh, they they kind of brush him off, and then Ennis kicks the crap out of them in front of his wife and kids, and and the kids are crying, and Alma's trying to calm them down, and then Ennis is just standing in in the mess that he made. So he has this incredibly destructive behavior within him. Yeah, and that attack at the Fourth of July, you know, there's a lot of emotions probably going through Ennis's head. You know, he's he's trying to constantly throughout this film show this strong bravado masculine side that maybe he uses as a shell to hide who he is truly inside and then also the frustration of being stuck where he is right now with this family that he doesn't truly want maybe the anxiety of not looking like a strong person or or, or maybe someone knows he's he him and he kind of talks he's, about being, he's paranoid. Paranoid. He's being yeah. paranoid that maybe people around town know about him um also the emotional separation from from jack because the first act of this film it's really beautiful what Ang Lee did in the writers and building up this slow tension between Jack and Ennis because the the first act I love as they're they're roaming around they're herding these sheep which you know it looks like they're actually really herding sheep I don't know how accurate it is to to sheep herding if they're using the correct form or anything like no, that no they they were well Jake Gyllenhaal had to go through a month long training cowboy training cowboy training but Heath Ledger didn't because he grew up in farms in Australia so he already knew how to herd but stuff. it's great they're really yeah. riding those horses they're really yeah. herding those sheep carrying them and everything and then as they become a little closer and Ennis starts to open up a little more where Jack definitely wants to sooner. He wants to, he's trying to, like, I think one of my favorite shots in the entire film is at the, at the campsite. I think it's the morning or night. Um, Jack is just like sitting down, I think eating dinner. And then behind he's him, smoking a cigarette. Yeah. He's on the, behind them. Ennis is naked changing. And Jack is trying so hard, so hard not to look. He's, he's trying not even to look with his peripheral vision from the side. To not look at Ennis's naked body because the temptation is so strong, and he's not sure if Ennis wants the same thing that he wants at the time. And so Ang Lee is just like brilliantly building slowly this immense tension until it erupts finally at that freezing night where Ennis goes into the tent with Jack. Yeah, and it seems to be like because they got really drunk that night, drunker than they ever have. So it seems in a way, I think subconsciously Ennis wanted it to happen. That's why he got so drunk to so drunk that he couldn't make it to the other campsite 
And so I think in a way, Ennis did want it, but he was hiding it within himself that so much so that he didn't even really know that he wanted it. Yeah, and Jack was probably trying to insinuate that he wanted it sooner when he's saying like, Ah, oh, it's it's ridiculous that we have. I have to sleep up there. We should both be staying at this camp. He's yeah. like, we should both stay here. And then Ennis is like, "Well, I'll go there if you don't want to." So Ennis, he probably picked up on what Jack was doing, but was ignoring it just like he does everything else. But what's so strong about that first act is the chemistry between them is so strong because Ennis, like we have been talking about, is such a closed off person. But with Jack, he opens up. He tells jokes, he laughs, and he seems to have a good time with Jack, and that's never happened with any of the women he's dated. And so I think that he's trying to, he's struggling to understand that why am I enjoying spending time with this man more than any woman I've been with my entire life? And so that's something that he's harboring within him and trying to fight against when ultimately Jack is trying to get him to open up and embrace that. And they do, he does eventually, uh, It's it's, but Jack has to kind of like not force his hand, but take the lead in a way let him know it's okay really yeah, to, yeah. to be who he wants to be and that's why when they have to leave broke back a month early and obviously it's because joe aguirre comes unannounced and he spies on them with the binoculars and sees what they are really up to up there and he has that terrible line that he says to to jack he's like oh you guys really no figured out a way yeah figured out a way to pass the time up there didn't you and um Ennis takes it so hard that they have to leave a month early. He's secluding himself from the distance from Jack. We have that that shot where he's just by himself, like hold, like elbows on his knees. And Jack seems okay. He's obviously going to miss Ennis. But then when Jack drives away and Ennis is walking, he hides into the sides of the houses to cry and starts punching the wall aggressively and then has that outburst at the guy that is watching him because he took broke back between them ending earlier, worse than Jack for sure. He was saying it was about the money, but it was about it was about Jack for sure. Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. I think it's time to uh, move into our intermission. What about you? Let's do it. Let's do our intermission, which is brought to you by our friends at Manscaped. Use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout for twenty percent off and free shipping. In our intermission, if you're new to the show, it's a lot of fun. We do some some trivia games about movie stuff and some some guessing games, and we'll start with our movie trivia. Quote competition. Let's go. And I have two from two fans. Let's hear so it. We got the first one from Tevin Garvey. And everyone, if you want to send us one on Instagram DM or whatever, go ahead. Sometimes I think I felt everything I'm ever going to feel. And from here on out, I'm not going to feel anything new. Just lesser versions of what I've already felt. Call me by your name. No. Shit. I love this movie. I feel like it's a good romance, but like a young one, right? It's newish. Newish. I can't, I can't think of it's it. It's her. Oh, yes. Like, you just watched it. Yeah. 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 Yesterday. I, the other day, yeah. <laughs> but I, I love that. I've seen the yeah. movie like 10 times. Yeah. And then this one's from Damon Heinzman. It's just silence. That's the quote. That's the quote? Silence. The word silence? Or I'm, just... gu- I'm guessing is that Snape? Is it? Is it the word silence? It's just si- silence then a bunch of periods. <laughs> I'm guessing it's Snape, Professor Snape. I don't know. Silence. That's what I'm going to go with. And yeah. I feel like if I Googled it, a lot of movies would come up. So yeah. I'll let, we're going to have to ask him. Damon, let, us, let me know in the DMs if I got that one right. Because <laughs> I think it could be a lot of stuff. <laughs> All right, your turn. Okay. I'm sorry, honey. I love this thing because you gave it to me. But the truth is, it's one fucking ugly tie. Oh! Want me to say it again? Yeah. I'm sorry, honey. I love this thing because you gave it to me, but the truth is, it is one fucking ugly tie. I can't I can't think of it. I'll give you a hint. It's Michelle Williams is in it. Five, four, uh, three. Tell me. Shutter Island. Oh my god. Oh my <laughs> Oh my god, man. <laughs> I know you're mad because you hate you because you love that movie so much. Oh, I can't believe I didn't get that one. <laughs> Anyways, let's move on to guess this movie release year. Lock, stock, and two smoking barrels. 1998. 1998 is correct. Yes. Ding 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 ding. Let's go. <laughs> okay, I did. I did another Michelle Williams one. All right, but it's not a movie. It's a TV show. So what year did Dawson's Creek premiere? Premiere. She yeah. was in Dawson's Creek. I didn't. Yeah, know she was the lead. She's the lead? She's Dawson's girlfriend. I've, I don't think yeah. I've seen that show since I was like six. Um, 1994. 98. Oh, man. I did not do yeah, good Yeah, today. that's how she broke out uh, with Dawson's Creek. No. Yeah. Had no idea. Someone else famous is in that, I think. I can't remember who. 
All right, movie pop quiz time. Let's go. In the movie The Prestige, what are the names of the competing magicians? Angier and Alfred Borden. There you go. Robert Angier. Robert ding, ding, Angier. ding, 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 ding. Nice job. Thanks. Okay. What was Maggie Gyllenhaal's breakout film role? Not Donnie Darko. It's not Donnie Darko? She she was the lead. In this movie that you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Man, you gave me, you got me some tough ones today. <laughs> Come on, that Shutter Island one. Yeah, I should have had the You Shutter hated I- yourself for that. Yeah, yeah, I will not sleep tonight. <laughs> Maggie Gyllenhaal. Is she, was she like a child actress in a movie? No, she was, she was an adult. It was probably right after Donnie Darko, if not the same year. I don't know. Secretary. Oh. With James Spader. Was it that's that was her big That was her role. breakout? Yeah. That's what I, that was the first movie that came to my mind. Oh, why like, didn't you say it? Because I didn't think that would like consider like a breakout. Oh that yeah, she was the lead in that. I guess, but like not I feel like not a lot of people saw that movie. But it's a good movie. No, but I mean if 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 you're the lead you're, actor in a successful yeah, you're pro- a critically yeah, 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 successful yeah. movie, yeah. big time. You're probably right. That's your breakout. I thought it would be like before Donnie Darko oh. or something. Sorry. Yeah, I should have just said it. Yeah, you should have. You knew it. <laughs> Anyways. You need to believe in yourself more. I, You're uh, like Ennis Del Mar. <laughs> I'm just going to go. I'm just going to sit here and just like talk through my mouth. <laughs> All right. Biggest hater of the week was from a clip we posted about Christian Bale. Anthony made a great, great clip talking about how before American Psycho, Christian Bale was an, you know, he's an actor in some good movies and. But, like, he wasn't a world-famous guy. He wasn't super well-known. He wasn't known, like— Especially in America. He wasn't a household name. And um, he mentioned that in the clip and how American Psycho just ignited his career his career because, obviously, he got Batman a couple of years later. Yeah. So um, it, he wasn't super famous, but then a, a bunch of people in the comments were attacking us like, he was in Newsies in 1992. <laughs> that movie made $2.8 million at the box office, which means less than 300,000 people bought a ticket to see that movie. So— Yes, he was the lead in the musical uh, Newsies, which is a Disney production, and the the theater the mus- the theater musical way- made way more money. So way more people, <laughs> uh, way more people bought tickets to the theater musical than the actual movie. So he wasn't a, like a famous person, like Tom Cruise, famous person. Christian Bale, who's that? Nineteen ninety two. Yeah, and the, and the thing I was specific about my wording, I said he wasn't known in Hollywood as a leading man. In Newsies, he was like 18, 17 maybe, but he played a kid. He played like a 15-year-old. And then he was the lead in Empire of the Sun, but he was like nine. Yeah. So I was talking about being a leading man, leading films in Hollywood, in America. Nobody knew who he was. Exactly. And like just because he's in Newsies doesn't mean everyone in America has seen Newsies. Most people have not seen that. The vast majority of people I've have never not seen, seen that movie. I've never seen it. But man. All right. That one just like ticked me off. <laughs> All right. Uh, biggest supporter of the week is Riley McDonald, who has been a patron since September 2020. Riley, here's a round of applause for you. Thank you so much he for just being, won a hat. being a part of the show. Did he win a hat? Yeah. Oh, no way. Yeah, he won the giveaway hat. When'd you do it? Uh, like uh, a month ago. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Who's hey, well, I hope you're wearing that hat listening to the podcast yeah, right Riley. now, Riley. Thanks so much for the support and continued support. And time for the streaming recommendation of the week on Amazon Prime. I recommend you check out the Manchurian Candidate, not the old Frank Sinatra one, but the more recent Jonathan Demme film starring Denzel Washington, uh, Leah Schreiber. Mer- Schreiber, and Meryl Streep. It is such a fantastic, thrilling, mysterious movie. It's so well directed. It's got an amazing uh, performance by Denzel and the other cast, and Meryl Streep as a villain. Yeah, not like Devil Wears Prada villain, but like a really evil person villain, and she's fantastic. I think it's an unbelievably good political thriller that not many people have ever talked about keeps you on the edge of your seat to the very end yeah you're you're just like what is happening what is going on and then when you finally find stuff out it's pretty great check it out on this day in film history today is june 28th monday the the nutty professor was released in 1996 (laughs) i love the nutty professor Professor. dude eddie murphy was like our childhood yeah i wish that guy just didn't disappear because he was in so many good movies in the 80s and 90s yeah yeah. dr doolittle yeah Yeah. he he was the man uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl was released in 2003, which is one of the best action-adventure films ever made. Hands down. And then Kathy Bates was born, who is an oh, Academy nice. Award-winning actress, we all know, and she won her Oscar for Misery. Misery. What a movie. That that movie makes me sick, the scenes. When with, she breaks his legs. Oh, I can't even think about it. James Ken. I'm getting, like, shivered right up. Oh, oh man. man. Don't do it to Santino. <laughs> <laughs> James Ken right. has been punished in films. I mean, yeah, yeah. He's a great guy. Anyways, <laughs> let's get back into... Brokeback Mountain. I want to talk about the because we're about we were talking about the intimacy. I want to talk about how well they filmed the intimate scenes because that first time they have sex, 
it's it's very chaotic for Ennis. He doesn't know what to do. He kind of doesn't know what's happening. He has his eyes closed, like, shut yeah, hard. He's, he's scared. He's very scared. And and Jack is trying to show him. He's kind of being a little forceful because he knows that Ennis needs to be like shaken into it. You know what I mean? Like he he knows how how difficult it is for Ennis to be open or emotional about anything. So he kind of like has to jolt Ennis into it in a way, not to lead him into it, but to get him to open up. And I think it's a really well-performed scene. Uh, it's an important moment in the movie, and I think both actors did a fantastic job. It's a it's a difficult scene to film, I, and they Ang Lee filmed it in uh, one take mostly, so it's a beautifully shot moment. Yeah, and then Ennis takes control in the sex scene, and then later on we watch him have sex with Alma, and he actually has sex the exact same way with Alma because that clearly shows that even though he's having sex with his wife, he's clearly thinking about Jack probably every single time. Yeah, and the face that Alma makes it seems to be like, oh, here we go again. Yeah. Because she obviously doesn't want to have sex that way. Like, she wants, she's, she seems to be very affectionate, a very loving and warm person. But when Ennis turns her around to her back, it's clearly not something she wants to do. Before we continue, I have to tell you about MoviePosters.com, the number one place to get your posters online today. MoviePosters.com has synced up with our podcast to offer a very special promo. Use our discount code Raiders15, again Raiders15 at MoviePosters.com to get 15% off your order today. MoviePosters.com has all sorts of framing, backlighting, sizing, every kind of movie imaginable. If you're a fan of TV, if you're a fan of movies, there's no better way to express that love than decking your place out with a bunch of movie posters, just like our set if you're checking it out on YouTube. We have dozens of these amazing posters they sent us free of charge because they're an amazing sponsor of the show. Again, head on over to MoviePosters.com and use our promo code Raiders15 to get 15% off your order today. Yeah, the wives are, you know, they're kind of putting in an unfair situation for both of them. I feel bad for Alma because of the way she finds out and then the way she has to just live with what's going on and the lies. And every time a postcard comes, you know, she has to deal with that and just keep biting the bull. Because I think, again, she's in, in fear of what could happen to Ennis. And she doesn't want the, the family to be ruined and they have kids. And then Laureen, played by Anne Hathaway, who does a phenomenal job in this movie too, she's seems like a really nice person. She seems like a good girl. And then obviously at the end when we find out what happens to Jack on the phone when Ennis calls her, she seems like she's happy. Well, not happy, but she's was part of what happened she, to Jack. She's not part of, a part of it, but she lies about it. Yeah. She knows what really happened, but clearly whoever did it, I assume in my head that as her father led this brigade of men to, to kill Jack. I would say that could be definitely a good point. Um, it, I, I love how they don't show who did it and how it happened specifically. Uh, but it, it's so telling that she does lie about it because it seems to be like her family and how she was raised. It's uh, about the surface and how people talk about you is so vital and important, especially to the livelihood of her father's business. And so I think the news of uh, her husband uh, being gay is probably detrimental to the family in a major way. And that's why I think that she could uh, consciously lie about it to Ennis. Yeah, Anne's performance in that scene is phenomenal because she's, you can see tears are welling up in her eyes, but she has this, like, she's approaching the phone call like it's a business call. Yeah. The like, way she's, in the way she smokes her cigarette, it's so good. Like, it, in my head, I watch it and it's like she knows she was probably was not against what happened, even though she still loved Jack. She didn't, probably didn't want that to be part of her life because you can assume that she was very much like her father, who was a very controlling, you could tell, a hard guy. And the thing with their family, like they just mentioned, it, they also don't really like outsiders. You can tell her father never liked Jack. And even at the birth of their child, he just like tosses the keys at Jack to get something out of the car and yeah. acts like he's not even part of the family. Yeah. And the three of them, her and her parents are just holding the baby and like talking about the baby like it looks like their grandfather on their grandmother. side. The he's grandmother. The splitting image of, a gra of my grandmother. And Jack's right? just at the door like, I guess it's not even my kid. Yeah, yeah. So he's not even really a part of the family and the way her father constantly treats him. And the Thanksgiving scene is the only time, the first time that we see Jack stand up to him, which is great. That's a great scene. But before that, there's a moment with Laureen when she's in the office and then she sees Jack is driving a tractor and uh, pitching it to people who are interested buyers. And then there are two other interested buyers in the office and they're looking at Jack and they're like, isn't that that guy who used to ride bulls? And then we tried to ride. And bulls. Then the other one says he, I think he tried to ride bulls. Yeah. So I think that they, it, 
they are easily embarrassed by Jack. Call in, him a piss in all sort, Yeah, in all sorts of ways. And she clearly isn't happy about other people talking badly about him. So I think that that family uh, being embarrassed is probably the worst thing that could happen to them. In the relationship between between Jack and Lorene, it starts out really innocent and, and, and very loving. And they seem to really enjoy each other. But ultimately, just like Ennis... Uh, Jack, I think, can never really be happy with any woman he, and he, or any man, ultimately, because he said he tells Ennis, sometimes I miss you so bad I can't stand it. Yeah, he and just wants Ennis. He wants Ennis. And all he's been trying to do these past years, it's become years, is here and there, try to convince Ennis, let's get a place. Let's try it. Let's live together. Let's just go somewhere because if we don't, we're both going to regret it. And ultimately... Ennis has to live with that regret for the rest of his life. Yeah, because I think that Ennis partially feels guilty for what happened to Jack because, you know, Jack, like you said, all he wanted was Ennis. They wanted, he wanted to get the ranch together. They could have had a good life. And Ennis, throughout the years, as they kept going and going on, he would see Jack less frequently. So he would only see him maybe a couple times a year versus like every other month or even less. And, and it was driving Jack crazy because Jack needed to see Ennis. And Ennis never understood the effect that it had on Jack when he tries to explain it to him. But that's when, you know, the first time Jack goes to Mexico to get the, the male prostitute to kind of to, to thirst that quench he has for Ennis. And then he meets Randall when he's with Laureen at that banquet hall or wherever. And Randall invites him to that house that his his uncle or his friend has or something his like boss. that. His boss has. And so that meeting Randall is what killed Jack because it, well, that's how I see it. Because with G, with Ennis and, and Jack, they're so far away that they could get away with it secretly. You know, no one would really find them in the middle of nowhere in Brokeback Mountain. He's Jack. Ennis lives in Wyoming. Jack's in Texas. They don't know the same people. But because Randall is also a Texas rancher, rancher a neighbor rancher. And the wives know each other, so they, they probably know all the same people, all the same social circles. It, at some point, they probably got caught, and lo probably by local people, probably by friends of theirs. And that's what led to their death. They probably both got killed for it. It could be that. And I also think if it wasn't that, I think that it was just being – people were catching on to Jack because Jack is very much he, – he keeps it hidden, but he very much is out in the open. Like there's that scene before he meets Loreen. After he does some rodeoing, and he he actually offers to buy the, the clown the guy who was one of the clowns. He offers to buy him a drink, clearly uh, trying to insinuate that he's interested in him. And, and that and the guy rejects him and tells him to keep his money. and And then he walks away, kind of disgusted in Jack. And Jack becomes embarrassed. And then, but then that guy walks over to his buddies and starts whispering to them. And it seems as though he's telling his guys that guy just tried to tried to hit on me. You know what I mean? So I think that. Maybe Jack got more reckless and was maybe uh, more open about coming on to men in public. And ultimately, I think uh, rumors catch on, catch on, gossip grew until pretty much the entire town knew who Jack really was. Yeah, that's probably a really good point, too. But Thanks. either way, I'm sure that, that Ennis <laughs> feels some responsibility and guilt because it's because, you know, Jack didn't get to see him as much. And Ennis, yes, he was working more. But he could have probably made time for Jack like he used to. Well, it's not just that, but Ennis is the entire reason why uh, they never had a relationship from the beginning. Yeah. Because after they, when they're leaving Brokeback, what's the final thing that happens the first time is Jack and Jack and Ennis fight, and Ennis start Ennis starts the fight, and he uh, and he punch and Jack, Jack knees kinda, him in the he nose. Kind of like accidentally, it seems like knees him in the nose. Yeah, to get but, him then, off but him. then Ennis really punches him. But Ennis starts the fight. Yeah, because he, Ennis grows to he in the moment he hates him for for he thinks uh, making him like this, whereas he doesn't understand that uh, Jack helped him open up who he truly was. But so and so after that, that fight is the reason why they never spoke for four years. Whereas if Ennis had been more open with Jack and more honest with who he was, maybe they would have started a relationship and maybe they would have secretly been seeing each other and neither of them would have gotten married. Neither of them would have had families and maybe they could have had some kind of happy life ultimately over the years. But because Ennis was so closed off and he put that wall up and he rejected Jack immediately, that is what caused the relationship to never ever form. That's why I think Heath Ledger's performance in this movie might be his best because in the third act, and after he finds out Jack's dead, just every shot of him, it seems like he's going through so much pain because of this guilt he has. Because 
they could have been together. He's finally realizing through Jack's death that it could have happened. Like, what's the worst that could have happened? They both would have died? Then at least they would have been living their truth. You know, Jack died either way. So they could have at least been together if they were if something was going to happen to either one of them. And maybe if they lived together, they could have lived much longer. Even if so, Even if people did try to kill them, they maybe would have been attempted it when they were elder, like they elderly. Would have, either way, they yeah. would have had that time together that they never did have, which was just all they could do was go fishing and, and broke back a couple times a year. And what's so great about his performance is that he's, even in that third act, he's hiding all of his emotions, especially when he goes to see Jack's parents. Yeah, that's house, what I mean. And he's like pretending to just, just be a friend, even though they they kind of understand like he's the guy. That, I think the mom does. Mo no, they, the dad definitely does too, because yeah. the dad has like this repulsive look on him the entire time. But I think out of the the love they had and the tragic tragic uh, nature of their son's death, uh, they they allow him like the the father allows him into the house and talks to him because like your son's dead. Why why treat this man poorly? And ultimately, Ennis has to act as though he's like, oh, I'm I'm here to. If you want me to, I can fulfill the will of, of Jack and put his ashes in Brokeback. But ultimately, he's in intense grieving, but he's not showing it. Yeah, and then there's a point, a plot point that comes full circle in that scene when at the end, I mean, at the end of the first act, when they're leaving Brokeback, uh, Ennis is like, I can't believe my, I left my shirt up there on the mountain. And then Ennis finds his shirt. The shirts that are covered in blood. Yeah, yeah, in the back of Jack's closet, hidden. He finds the shirts that they wore when they got in that fight. And it's one of the, the most powerful moments in the film because here's this, like, secret little treasure of their first time in Brokeback. And Jack chose to save these two shirts even though they fought in them, probably because maybe the blood on them was symbolic to him in a way that they would always be together, you know. In, yeah, a symbol of their bond. Yeah, and then, you know, it's, it's very touching, and then the mother lets him keep it. And, and we see it hanging in his closet in his trailer with that photo broke back at the end of the film. But what's really interesting is that, that when he finds it in Jack's closet, and it's so emotional, I get to, I get choked up just thinking about it. When he finds the the shirts in Jack's apartment, in Jack's bedroom, uh, Jack's shirt is on the outside and Ennis's shirt is on the inside. And then when uh, when Ennis reveals it when he opens his closet in his trailer after cast after um, Alma Jr. leaves. Uh, the shirts are reversed, and so now Ennis's shirt is on the outside, and Jack's shirt is on the inside, and that's symbolic of Jack, I think, fully accepting who he is, accepting his love for Jack, and finally um, embracing Jack as his soulmate. Yeah, I think that's what the final line of the film is when when Ennis says, "I swear, Jack, I swear," when he's holding the shirt and looking at it, because I think he's. He's finally making that promise to Jack that he wouldn't in Jack's life while they were together is that he'll live his truth. He'll be who he really is, and he's not afraid to love Jack anymore. And I love the scene that he has with Alma Jr. right before this moment where Alma's come to tell him that she's getting married to that boy, Curtis. And at first, Ennis doesn't is, really— Is Roger still playing baseball? <laughs> yeah, I'm dead. I haven't dated him in two years. <laughs> and Ennis is kind of like taken aback, doesn't really know what to say. But I love how he asks, does he love you? And that's when she said, yeah, dad, he does love me because that's all that Ennis now understands that love is really all you need in a relationship. And it's because he never fully accepted his love for Jack. And, ult and ultimately, Jack's love for him changed him because when Cassie asks, hopes that he can come to the wedding at first. Alma. Uh, sorry, when Alma Jr. asks if he can come to the wedding, Ennis is like, I don't know, I think I'm supposed to be ranching that, that time of year. And that the southern accent <laughs> it comes out, and then and then he takes a moment and he's like, you know what, screw it, I'm the coming. Fine, I'm find another cowboy. Yeah, I'll, I'm coming to your wedding. So he's Jack's love and the loss of Jack has made him understand what's really important in life, and ultimately, what's important in life is the relationships you have with the people you love. Exactly. You can't just let your loved ones just slip away and just avoid them forever like he did with Jack eventually towards the end of their relationship before he died. Because he did that with his family. He became a very, he wasn't a very good father and he always used the excuse of having to work to avoid emotional circumstances with the people in his life. It's sad because you can tell his daughters really loved him. They were always so excited just to see him, just to talk to him. All they really wanted was a father in their life. But, you know, Ennis is a very troubled man and it took him his entire life to finally come to terms with his feelings. Yeah, I just think that it's such a beautiful ending. And Ang Lee does this fantastic shot of from inside the trailer, and you, it's the shot is the the window looking out into the into the the nature, blowing in the wind, and there's this the beautiful acoustic score, 
And I think it's such a, a powerful and touching ending to the film. I think it's absolutely brilliant. And it, it gets me every time. Yeah, it's, it's a powerful movie if you haven't seen it. Well, I'm sure if you listen to this, you've already finished yeah, it. Yeah. But man, ooh, it's heavy. Yeah. It's a heavy movie. But I think it's one of the best love stories ever. All right, you want to do some intramurals about the film? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some superlatives. superlatives. I'm <laughs> back in college right now. <laughs> what are we going to run? Surprise. Superlatives about superlatives. <laughs> All right. Um, who you got as MVP? I got Heath Ledger as the MVP. Nice. Why? Carries the movie. Uh, Ennis is the backbone of the story, the the cause of all the tragedy. And ultimately, it's his transformation that you watch. I'm picking Jake because I think we need his youthful, energetic performance to keep pulling us through this film and, and carrying us along on this journey. Because Ennis is a great character, but you know, at times, he, he's not very talkative. He's a very quiet yeah. person. So I think you need Jake and Jack, Jack fucking Twist to keep the movie super interesting, you know, and Good engaging. Point. Good point. Best scene. I would say the best scene is the last scene when he shows the t-shirts in his closet. I think that's super, super good, super powerful. I think the best scene is when Ennis finds the shirts in Jack's mm -hmm. closet. What do you got for best shot? I have the fireworks shot. It's great. It's an unbelievable shot. I have I have two. I couldn't decide between. In the first act, there's a shot of Ennis and Jack on the cliff. It's while they're herding. And there's the sheep are all just like below them. And you can see all a thousand of them. And they're, it's a beautifully composed shot. It's very artistic, and the distance between them is palpable, but you can tell that they want to be close together. And then there's another, and the other shot I was talking about earlier where Ennis is nude behind Jack, and Jack's trying his best not to look at uh, Ennis's nude body, and just the temptation is, in, is intense. It's a great shot. Great shot. This is my second favorite shot. Best actor, I'm sure we both are going to say Heath, Heath Ledger, Ledger, for sure. I do think it, it's uh, one of the best performances this century. And when you watch movies like, like when you watch this, and yeah, obviously The Dark Knight, you, you realize that we lost probably... What could have been the greatest actor to ever live? I think. I mean, yeah, he has the he had the potential absolutely yeah. to be that. And I mean, just think back on was it thirteen years now. Imagine the movies he could have made in thirteen years. Seriously, he was, crazy. he was making great movies, but he was also making interesting choices with the films he made. Yeah, he also wanted to direct too. He yeah. would have been directing. Well, movies. he was going to direct Call Me by Your Name. That was what he wanted to direct at some point. Wasn't something else he was going to direct? Another movie can't, that you mentioned? On yeah, the something. I can't, I can't remember. remember. He was also. He was actually in pre-production on a Modest Mouse music video. That would have been cool. Yeah. But it's it's it's, a, it's a, a, such a tragedy to lose an artist like that. Yeah. He was so amazing. What's your best line? I wish I knew how to quit you. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good Jack fucking twist. <laughs> Jack fucking twist. <laughs> Jack fucking twist. <laughs> <laughs> My best line is uh, when Cassie tells Ennis girls don't fall in love with fun. Because that's... He doesn't because he, he doesn't understand what people are really want. He doesn't understand love yet. Yeah, and yeah, that wraps up our episode on Brokeback Mountain. Thank you so much for tuning into this. As we wanted to end Pride Month with a bang with one of our favorite love stories of all time, Brokeback Mountain. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to become a patron today at patreon.com slash Raiders of Lost Podcast. Get all the awesome perks that come along with it. Subscribe on YouTube. Yeah, we make bonus episodes yeah, bonus, just for patrons. Bonus episodes. Yeah. We just did one on, what did we do? Jojo Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit. We yeah. did, what was the one we did before that? Our favorite TV shows. Our, we did, yeah, our, our top five favorite TV shows. So we're doing weekly bonus episodes. Plus you get the other exclusive video content we post on there pretty much every day. You get to interact with us and give away some of the messages and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, check out that and Follow uh, and subscribe and hit the notification bell on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever, you, wherever you're listening. Leave the five-star reviews, and I think that's everything. Thank you so much. Take care, everyone. Bye. Raiders of the Lost Podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.